Hello everyone, it's Lou Rosenfeld, and welcome to another installation of the Rosenfeld Review podcast series. And I'm here today with Cindy Alvarez. Hi Cindy, how are you? Hello, I am good this Monday morning. This Monday morning, you're as good as you can be, I'm sure. It is a Monday morning in August, and um, uh, Cindy is someone who I've known a lot about, uh, but never actually talked to until this podcast. This is kind of exciting for me, but she um, is someone who I know through Laura Klein. Laura and I are actually co-curating a one-day virtual conference, October 11th, called User Research for Everyone, and Cindy is our final speaker of the day, or uh, you could call her a cleanup hitter, (laughs) and uh, in a pretty great lineup. And uh, let me just introduce Cindy really briefly. Uh, Cindy is the author of Lean Customer Development, Build Products Your Customers Will Buy. That's one of the Lean uh, series that O'Reilly puts out uh, with Eric Reese as the series editor. And she's uh, certainly been in the industry for a long time, straddling the, that UX and product management uh, space, and uh, currently is the UX director for Yammer over at Microsoft. And... Um, I'm really looking forward to to having you speak because you're covering a topic um, that's really important for people who are um, maybe new to user research or even people who are in the field uh, but don't necessarily have the the skills uh, to get people like decision makers to really uh, take notice of what they're learning in user research. So Cindy's talk is called Infectious Research. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that talk, and um, then we can dig into some of the specifics about how you get people on board with user research. Sure. Well, you know, it, it's a talk that's that's maybe 10 years in the making because I feel like I keep entering these situations where companies haven't really done research before. They're not opposed to it. It's just not something that they've done and really made part of their process. And I don't mean usability testing when it's too late to actually fix the bugs. I don't mean, you know, market research or sending out big surveys, but just this notion of how do we continuously talk to our customers, look at our market and basically test it as we're building the product. And, you know, as a person who likes to come in and argue with people, I've uh, now several times come into companies and and basically argued my way into, "Hey, we should be talking to customers and usually we get, oh yeah, we'd love to do that. We don't have time or budget. And that's when I usually say, okay, uh, be right back. And then a week later say, all right, well, we didn't have time or budget, but somehow I did this anyways and I learned something interesting and uh, let's keep this going. And I find, you know, that, that little hook is that kind of, wait, wait, wait how'd you find that out? Where'd you get that from? And it's really fascinating. Uh, I think about 10 years ago, I remember going into, I was working at Yodley then, we did financial software. And anyone who's ever worked in financial enterprise, it's you know the slowest moving, most conservative, imaginable scenario. And so you go into these meetings, you have one shot to talk to a VP, and there's 16 levels of VPs. They're so separated from their customers. And I remember we went in and we were talking to a bank exec. And they said, well, we don't really know if this is what our customers want. And I said, well, actually, I do know what your customers want because I went out and I talked to 100 of them, and this is what they said about the product that we're demoing right now. You know, and this guy's jaw just hit the floor. He's like, how is that possible? And, you know, I had to explain to him about Craigslist. (laughs) (laughs) 
And and the fact that it's really pretty easy to say, hey, do you bank at Citibank, Bank of America? Do you want to talk to me and, you know, I'll give you a gift certificate, but you really get to dump on how terrible your bank is and what you wish they would do. And, you know, amazingly, there's plenty of people who are willing to do that. And so that notion of just being able to go out without formal authority, without a budget and find out what people want and connect that to a product, that was a great experience for me then. And I think it's something that anyone in an org can still do today. And you don't have to have user researcher as a title. You don't have to have someone sign off because this is something that you can do on your own. Well, that's really important because, uh, especially because of this conference in particular, we're really uh, trying to make user research accessible to anyone. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is not for people who are already in the in the club. This is not for the priesthood. This is for the people who need to know something. They maybe already know that it's it's important and it's on their uh, their list of things that they have to think about and take advantage of. Uh, but they need a place to start now. One of the things that we see often is that uh, whether you're a product uh, manager or uh, a developer or a designer, whatever the case may be, you, you may realize that this is important, that user research is going to help you uh, compete and succeed. The problem is getting that foot in the door that in, in the kind of scenario you just described. Now, you know, you, you said you argue with people and a lot of folks out there, especially if they're not really confident in their skills, are a little concerned about that, right? They're not always going to be willing to argue. What about, um, you know, techniques that might be helpful for the more uh, introverted or those lacking in confidence? Uh, Do you need to be an arguer? No, and that's a really good point because I think uh, I'm a loudmouth, but I've had a number of researchers on my team who've gone on to, you know, a couple of them are starting up research teams at other startups who are much quieter than me and are much, much less argumentative. Uh, but I think there's, there's a key thing you can do, and this is not something I invented. This is, this is basically a, a, an Andrew Carnegie-level tactic, which is, you know, find out what people care about and find a way to wrap what you care about in what they care about. You know, so you have, you know, kind of a, the sheepskin over the wolf to to get into people. So most decision makers care about uh, you know making sure people will buy this product, making sure that product gets developed on time, making sure that you know engineers are keeping focused. Whatever that thing is that people really care about, there's some risk involved. And what you need to do is find out what do they care about, what are they worried about, and how can you somehow diminish that risk. So is that question number one? Uh, what are the goals or objectives or KPI for this product? Let me make sure I help you uh, achieve them, mitigate against risk. Is that really the, the that's probably the starting point, right? Especially that's if you're a, new to that's this. That's a good starting point. But you know, even and especially for someone who's not a particularly loud person, it even goes beyond that to what is the KPI for this person? Mm. You know, the person that you have to convince. Are they worried about presenting something to their manager. I mean, I've got a lot of foot in the door in my early career by knowing that managers of mine were going to have to put a good-looking PowerPoint deck in front of a senior exec. And so along with research, they got some really nice-looking slides. And kind of offering that as a, hey, I'm going to do this, and you can weave it into your presentation and look how good you know, these slides are going to look. You know, it's putting a little bit more elbow grease into your work, but that's okay because once you've delivered on that, you aren't always going to have to go above and beyond. At some point, the insights that you uncover are going to stand on their own. 
So this is an interesting thing. I mean, you know, certainly those of us who already are within the field and have drunk the Kool-Aid, got the religion, et cetera, et cetera, we're very, we're, I mean, we're used to kind of advocating on behalf of the unadvocated for, namely customers or users. And, and even that means that even we sometimes forget that you, you kind of have to advocate on behalf of the decision maker, the stakeholder, and figure out, as you say, what is their KPI. Uh, how do we ask that, especially if we're in a new situation, we don't know this person well, um, they may not be really comfortable with that question. You, you, you know, it may be that um, if you ask that question the wrong way, it may suggest to the decision maker that you think they're lacking in, in confidence or don't have a clear plan or strategy. Is there, is there a way to ask it that doesn't rankle? Yeah, I think a lot of times it's a very open-ended question. You know, tell me about how we're approaching this. What do you think are the biggest risks to this project? Um, even something as simple as like, how could I make your life easier? How and, can I make you look good? Yeah, exactly. You know, well, how can you make you look good? That's that's getting into that level of no one wants to think that they're going into projects angling to look good, but we're humans. That's what we do. So, like, how can I help you? What's the most important thing I could take off your plate? And a lot of times, people's first response, especially if you're coming at this from research and also from design, is to kind of say, well, I have these worries, but it, that's not something that you can help me with. And sometimes it's just kind of being that therapeutic ear and saying, well, you know, tell me about it and let's see what, what I can do. And so people will say, well, this is what I'm worried about. And sometimes you can say, well, we could probably reduce the risk by doing this. And sometimes it's you just thinking that in your head and going off and doing something to reduce that risk and then coming back and showing it. Thank you for, for that metaphor, by the way, of therapy. I mean, one of the things that I've always, uh, when I was still consulting in information architecture, I always like to describe myself as, as more more information therapist than information architect. And I do think there's some, some real strength to framing it that way, uh, maybe not outwardly, but ultimately I think a lot of what we do in field of UX is just getting people on our couch and and helping them think through their own problems and giving them a vocabulary to think it through with. So um, I'm, I'm so happy to hear that. Are there other techniques that you feel are kind of the unsung heroes? Uh, maybe once you've gotten some of these stakeholders to kind of come clean on, on what they see as, as risky or, or what's keeping them up at night? Well, you know, to continue with the therapy, a lot of it is just active listening, is to kind of play back. Well, it sounds like a big risk this project could be X. Is that is that correct? Would you agree with that? No. It sounds like we're going to be challenged in this way. Is that right? So just kind of repeating back to people. And sometimes that will do the reverse, which is to get people to say, oh, actually, no, that's not that big a deal. And that can help people feel really comfortable as well. It's just to make them realize, no, this actually wasn't such a big deal. So, yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree. Active listening is, is major, and yet it's still a real weakness among many of us because we don't have models to help us understand how to do that. Um, in My background happens to be in library science going back a million years, and one of the things they taught us as a model for active listening was the reference interview. Mm -hmm. When someone came to the reference desk and they said, I want that blue book or whatever it was, you know, you actually have to kind of get it out of them to really understand what, what it is they really want. Are there models that you found really useful or, or metaphors for active listening, maybe from other fields? Oh my gosh, parenting? Uh, 
You ever try to figure out why your why your six year old is upset or what your two year old is asking for? You know, there's this sort of like, what is this person? What's likely to be top of mind for this person? What are they likely to be talking about? Um, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's a little bit easier. The the worlds of a four year old are simpler than the worlds of a of a thirty five year old. But uh, yeah, and I think I feel like that's one metaphor for it. You know, and the other is is improv. And I talk about improv a lot actually when folks will ask me about user research and customer development. They'll say, well, can't I just outsource it? You know, I'm not an expert at this. Like, I don't, I don't really want to do interviews. There are people who are better at it. And that's true. And I've sat through the interviews to prove it. There's some people who are naturally terrible at it. But you can train yourself. Anyone can train themselves to reach a level of doing a pretty decent interview. And the critical thing is that improv, because no one but someone who's immersed in your situation is going to realize that follow-up question that they can ask that's perfect. You know, I've tried doing customer interviews for fields that I know nothing about, and I'm terrible at it, because I can ask the open-ended question, tell me about how you manage your Azure deployment of servers today, and someone will start talking, but I won't notice when they say a thing that really begs a follow-up question, because I don't know anything about Azure server deployment or you know, whatever the, the topic is. And so just that notion of improv of being like, you know, but what about this? Yes and this. And uh, you know, I haven't actually forced the people who work for me to take improv classes, but it's, it's a tempting thought. Uh, you might want to think about Steve Portugal when you do. <laughs> He's kind of <laughs> the master of active listening and improv. Um, so your, your talk is actually called infectious research. Let's dig a little bit into that term infectious. What makes something infectious? Well, I mean, uh, the, the word infectious, you just think about something that catches, something that you can't get rid of. Like, there's a lot of negative connotations, but it can also be positive. So I would say the least infectious possible form of research is the 100-slide PowerPoint deck that is distributed and maybe accompanied by a walkthrough where someone reads the slides and then has a Q&A at the end. That's really easy to avoid, you know, to, to continue the disease metaphor, you know, you see someone sneezing and coughing and you're just like, I'm going to walk clear of that. And I find that's a lot of times what happens when people with the best of intentions try to educate people on research, you know, or design standards or coding standards or, or really anything where there's, you can go really deep and nerdy on it. And, you know... The industry survives by people who go deep and nerdy on things like research or design standards or coding practices. But for everyone else, they need something that's got a hook. So it's just like anything, you know, they say now that songs on the radio have to have a hook within seven seconds. Hmm. And if there's not a hook within seven seconds, the listener's going to switch stations. And I think the same thing applies for research. You need to be able to give that soundbite that makes someone curious within seven seconds. And it's not dumbing things down. You're not oversimplifying because the implication is once they start listening, you have to assume that they're going to keep listening. And so a lot of times what we'll say is start off something with, we used to think this, but, and that's a really interesting sentence. You have to listen and see what's going to happen after that, but. And if you can boil something down to that hook, then you kind of get people and they're going to listen. And people who listen and hear a story are going to want to tell that story again because we're humans. We love telling stories. So I'm getting a, a, a picture of obviously uh, not only a lot more storytelling in our field, which is a fantastic idea, and I think a lot of people are starting to really 
move in that direction. We've even uh, published a book in that area uh, or two. But um, this idea of the meme or, or even like the, the listicle headline, like you won't believe what this customer did with your product, that kind of. <laughs> exactly. I mean, uh, you know, we, we do stop short of one, one weird trick. But uh, <laughs> but I will literally send, uh, we post everything on Yammer, of course, and I will literally follow up to one of my researchers with, like, this is not TLDR enough. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just kind of a constant thing. And that is a training that we do very literally. When someone starts on my team and they start doing research and synthesizing, they'll do a write-up. And uh, I'll always encourage people to send me the first quick write-up before they post it. And almost always, it's no. You need to TLDR this. So is that is that something you're you're looking for when you hire researchers now that they can actually kind of uh, create these hooks, which makes me almost wonder if you're you're looking for people who you know used to work for BuzzFeed before they went into user research. <laughs> I wouldn't expect people to come in the door with this. Uh, it's great if you do, but I think it's a skill that can be pretty easily taught. I would say though that. We've definitely had interviews where someone comes in and they're monologuing at us. And, uh, you know, it's just like the, the superhero movie where the, ev- the bad guy is monologuing and that, that gives time for ev- the good guys to escape and, uh, and overthrow him. And the same thing happens in the workplace. While you're monologuing, everyone else is plotting their escape. I saw The Incredibles. I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. Exactly. You're monologuing again. <laughs> you know, and there have been interviews where I really wanted to just stand up and be like, you're monologuing, stop it. And, you know, it's kind of an awkward dynamic. I, I wouldn't want a hiring manager to do that to me, so I've never done it. But uh, nonetheless, it's does someone know to start talking, make eye contact, notice that people are still looking? You know, is there an obvious point where they would expect the audience to ask a question? And if the audience doesn't ask a question, what do they do with that? So there are definitely communication skills that I look for coming in the door. And that when I work with other teams across Microsoft and I do a lot of observation of, of interviews or share outs, I'll kind of share that feedback afterwards. You, know, you need to pause more. You need to engage with the audience. Yes, everyone's checking email. I can't help that but you need to do something to pull them up out of their inbox every, every few minutes or else there's no point in having done all the research you did. Well, to, to almost come full circle, and one of the most popular virtual conferences we put on uh, was last year's uh, People Skills for UX, where we covered things like listening, negotiating, and, and leading, and so forth. And uh, it's great that you're ending our virtual conference uh, on basically a lead-in to some of those uh, people skills, or, or as for some reason they're called soft skills, that... Um, we don't tend to learn about in educational programs necessarily, or we don't take as seriously as we should until suddenly you're faced with a need to communicate and, and maybe even, as Cindy is suggesting, infect. Yeah. So uh, I, I'm so happy that you're joining us, and I think it's a great uh, way to end uh, that day of virtual conference. Again, the date is October 11th, and it's user research for everyone. And that's actually the URL, userresearchforeveryone.com. And uh, Cindy's one of our speakers. We're also going to hear from Steve Krug and Abby Covert, Julie Stanford, Erica Hall, Leah Bewley, Laura Klein, Nate Bolt. Uh, Gosh, I think that's everyone, but that's a pretty amazing lineup right there. Uh, And, of course, Cindy Alvarez. Thanks for joining us, Cindy, the um, UX director at Yammer and author of, oh, gosh, it's, uh, it's one of those lean books. Oh, I have it right lean here. Customer lean customer development, building products that what? 
your customers will buy. All right. And that's one of the O'Reilly Lean series. Cindy, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you.